Bridge the body to be together. Now we are learning out of Timothy. And we have been the last two Sundays dealing with the church in general as it is the buttress of truth. As it is the household of God. The defender of truth. The standing for righteousness. The image of Christ. And so today we're going to talk a little bit more about the church, but we're going to walk around some other scriptures. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. And so if you'd find those two places, we will walk around those places for a good portion of our time today. Now, I've said a lot of the things that I'm going to say today hundreds of times, year after year. As a matter of fact, if I were to pull, and I did, I pulled out of about 3,780 pages of notes concerning the gospel as it relates to the church, and that's 15 to 20 years worth of stuff. I find that it's just repetition. It's over and over and over and over again. Sermon after sermon. Dozens and dozens and dozens of sermons and thoughts and ideas and personal journals about what the church is. And there's something that's always true when I go and I contemplate these things and when I have moments and seasons in ministry where we start to emphasize them as a people, as as a shepherd, that we emphasize the structure and the polity and the purpose of the church it's always in contradiction to that which is normative in the culture around us. It's always in contradiction. And so what we think we see the church being and what the church actually should be is always different. And no matter how hard we preach it correctly, no matter how much we emphasize it from the pulpit here, beloved, there's always going to be, there's always going to be a, a taintedness. There's always going to be some of that worldly ideology and philosophy as it comes to being the church that's invaded our thinking and our appreciation or lack thereof or our intimacy. Last night, some of the brothers, we all met together for roughly two hours, a little more than some of us, more than two hours, but we talked about intimacy, what it is and what the Bible says it is versus what we think about it, what the world says it is versus what Scripture teaches And it was a very fruitful conversation because it centered on not just having a discussion about the relationships with other people, but it centered on the commands of Christ according to the word of God for his people. It centered on what we're in covenant for and what we're called and commanded to do and the promises of God that are conditional based upon his prescription. Now, sometimes when you hear people say that, and some of you may feel, oh, conditional promise. Yes, God has conditional promises. Even the death of Christ was a conditional promise. If Christ had not died, you and I would not be saved. (laughs) That's the condition. But it's the only one. So the life of the believer is effectually lived out in the local church. Now, let me give a caveat in the beginning because I'm teaching you, the church, and I'm teaching our church who aren't able to be here today who may watch this sermon or listen to it later, and then there are beloved, precious people 
who have aligned themselves with our ministry throughout the years who are nowhere near a body of believers that hold to what we hold to. And so we love them as well. But I give a caveat. There are sometimes exceptions that are out of our control providentially that prevent us from being in the local assembly. I'm not talking about these tiny circumstances. I'm talking about those who are able to be in the fellowship of the body. Because even though we may love and in some remote sense have an alignment or a, a, quote, membership or anything else... There is no intimacy if it's not face-to-face. I mean, we just sang a song that said that, didn't we? Face-to-face with the ancient of days. That's what we're waiting for. That's what we're longing for. We're, We're wanting to be in the face of Christ. We're wanting to be in the presence of Christ. It's not enough for us to engage the unseen God in the face of Christ through the Scripture by the Spirit. It's not enough. It satisfies us temporarily until something else takes away our attention and then we are divided. Then we have two masters. Then we are at ill. We're we're, we're in, in in a spiritual illness and then we fight to get back to the focus of Christ. But one day, beloved, one day, and these bodies remade and perfect and never sick and never upset and never angry and never jealous and everything else that's included in the promises of God for glory, one day we will exist in trueness in life forever with Jesus Christ never having a divided heart or mind or soul again. That's what we long for. But we live in a day and age where the ethereal Christian experience is good enough. With the echo chamber, uh, 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 you know, uh, entourage is plenty. Where the social media silliness is satisfactory. Boy, alliteration just comes too easy for me. Despise it, but it just... It's satisfactory. Well, you know, I got my church, my Facebook group. It's not the church. It's not the church. The closest example of that to make sense is, I'm about to starve. I've not eaten in three days. Let me look at a picture of a sandwich. Oh, the picture's not cutting it. Let me watch a video of someone making it. Well, that's enticing. But I really want to experience eating the sandwich. Would you eat that sandwich for me? Oh, wonderful. I could just taste it. You're still starving. You're still hungry. You're still in need. And for the beloved souls who are sheep without a home, without, without that intimacy, that's what they feel every day. So beloved, do not take for granted what God has established for us. It is not promised tomorrow. The church of Jesus Christ is the point of the New Testament. It's the point. I mean, I want to keep this short. But I've, I've copy-pasted stuff from all sorts of different places. i got nine pages here and five pages here, and typically my sermons are one line or two line, maybe just no notes at all. So I don't know what I'm going to do. just don't want to forget something. But I want to talk about the beautiful church. 
I want to talk about what Paul mentions. That the, the point of marriage is that it's about Christ. The point of creation is that it's about Christ. But not just about Christ alone. It's about Christ and all of his beauty in that he has a body called the church. Oh, that's what we call it. He didn't call it that. He has a body. He has a people for himself. That the most glorious, the most observable, the most magnificent, the most amazing, the most absolutely stunning, impossible to apprehend and comprehend and take in at all, the most awful and awesome thing about God is that he has saved a people for himself and he has established his people across this world through time and that they are together in a union that is beyond friendships, that is beyond affinities, that is beyond hobbies and interests, that is beyond who is liking who and who is not liking who. It's beyond all of that. It's beyond the norms of cultural things and it is in a supernatural sense with absolutely supernatural affection that people are bound together by the Spirit of God and they can't escape it. And some of us may say, I don't, I don't, I don't experience that because you're not in the body enough. Of course. Of course it's easy to engage with the world. It's easy to, how them things doing? You know, I don't even know if you can do that anymore. Can you do that? Do the Braves do that anymore? I didn't think so. That's the karate. Anyway. 94 is when I stopped watching baseball. <laughs> it's easy to go, man, look at this 10-point I shot. Look at this new gun I got. Look at this great pair of shoes I just found. Can you believe the special at Family Dollar? I got 900 packs of toilet paper for five bucks. I wish. It's easy. And we can talk and jaw. We can go watch a movie. We can talk about that movie. We can enjoy a good meal. Or we can have a horrible experience. I know, girl. Man, that place is terrible. Me too. We always find connection in the world. It's simple. It's easy. Even as so-called Christians, we can find the Lord is good all the time and all the time the Lord is good. God bless America. And I could go on and on and on and on. And then we find, as I, I made this comment last night in our men's group, People who love the Bible and love to read the Bible. I'm not talking about theologian hobbyists. I'm not talking about ignorant, dummy zealots. I'm talking about people who just love the Bible, love the text. And they read, oh, well, pastors must be like that. Zealots, you know, evangelists, possibly. Crazy people. The radical Christians. But, beloved, we ought to love the Word of God. And the only way we're going to love the Word of God is the discipline to being in the Word of God. And as we see it more and more, that Christ that has saved us by his love and grace will be more and more beautiful to us and that that which is more and more beautiful to us we want to spend more time with. So, you know, ladies and gentlemen who have dated or are dating or are married or are engaged or whatever you might be, you know what I'm talking about. The more time we are together, the closer we become. And not in superficial ways, but in intentional ways. And the Church of Jesus Christ is not a social club. It's not, a, as I said last week, it's not a social agency. It has no requirements whatsoever to impact the world out there at all in any national sense, in any international sense. We are not called to do that, ever. As a church history freak, 
and as a, a historical theological freak, I love to see all the ridiculousness of the history of missions and evangelism and everything else. It's like one nightmare to another with a little bit of solidarity and a little bit of uh, sanity in the middle. And the same thing is true with the context of the church. We can't treat the church with conditions. God's love is not conditional except that Christ has died for his people. And there is no sense, nor is there any teaching to the church or its elders or its deacons, any man, any woman, any child in the New Testament that would give us the privilege, the power, or the authority to put conditions on any other human being that's not found in Scripture in relation to fellowship in the local assembly. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, turn there with me. And then find Ephesians 4 and get ready to turn there too. I got a four ribbon Bible. That's bougie. Paul is writing to this infantile church. An infantile, not in their age, infantile in their attitude and behavior infantile in their expression of the gospel in their lives, infantile in their willingness to submit to that which is given to them in prudent instruction and application in a way that gives them the joy of Christ and the discipline therein of God's grace. And one of the things that was happening in Corinth is there were these elite people who were uber spiritual and they were excited about their great spirituality and they were excited about their high theology in regard to spiritual gifts. And specifically... There were several gifts that everybody wanted. Everybody wanted the gift of prophecy and everybody wanted the gift of Galatia, which means language or tongue. And we understand if we look at the book of Acts, we see what God has done in the undoing of what? Babel. Man unites. Man says, look at us. We're going to build a tower unto God. Just like Lucifer said, I should stand next to the Most High. I will ascend the, God, the mountain of the gods. I will, I will. Man said, I will. And men are still doing that. Mankind are still doing that today. And that's what, one of the things that we see Paul teaching Timothy. Mankind are going to stand in their hubris and say that they have everything right when they have hardly anything right. I know there's no condemnation for us. But what an egg-on-the-face moment it would be if, if we all got to heaven and in the day of glory we're all recreated and we're standing there at what theologians would call the judgment of Christ where the saints are rewarded. It would be interesting if, if, if the Lord Jesus went, Hey guys, I'm going to impart some wisdom on you real quick on the count of three. I'm going to inundate your mind with everything that you were wrong about. Our heads would pop. <laughs> every attitude, every experience, every approach, every wrong application, every wrong motivation. You see what I'm saying? We need to just be careful to recognize what grace and mercy is all about. 
Thank God that won't happen. Because it won't happen for me, I surely should not put it on you. And vice versa. This church was like, you know, these uber spiritual people, these, this is the epitome of what it means to be in the church. And Paul's like, nope. Let me talk to you about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12. Spiritual gifts. You need to have spiritual gifts. But I want you to be ignorant, brothers. I want you to understand what's really taking place here. Because remember, you were pagans before the gospel found you. You were enemies of God, like he told the church of Ephesus. You were dead in your sins and your trespasses. You were wanderers. You were far away from God. You weren't even close. I mean, if Israel, when I taught my high school class in the book of Hebrews, you know, if Israel, was, if this is, this is Christ and Israel's up here underneath, they're still separated from God. But if we're further away from that, how far are we? You were led astray. You followed after idols. You worshipped statues. You worshipped mute and dead idols. You were led by your dumbness and your ignorance and your blindness. So I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God says Jesus is a curse. And only by the Spirit of God does one say Jesus is Lord. Then he talks about the varieties of gifts. I want you to think about that for a second. The varieties of gifts. Like going to a gift store, there's all sorts of things. I mean, if you go to a thingamabob store, there's a bunch of different thingamabobs in there. There's a bunch of different types of things. And it's overwhelming. You go to Bath and Body Works to buy soap, good luck. You won't even get to the front door for your hacking and coughing and your eyes are burning because they're burning like nine cents. They're blowing that stuff out, chemical warfare. That's what we should do in nations we're at war with. Just open a bed, bath, and beyond and blow the smell out. You can't just go buy soap. What kind of soap you want? What kind of skin do you have? What color is your skin? And I know that's important, but for men, soap, please, soap. You know, we don't go in there. <laughs> soap. Soap is soap. We wash the dog, the dishes, the clothes, the car, the sidewalk. And your hair, the same soap, it's all, it works. It works. But that's not the way the world is, is it? There's a gifts, there's all sorts of things. The same thing is true in the gifts in the church. There are many different gifts. God has not established a church for all of us to look alike, to wear the white robes with the bald head and the round, limb, round, round rim glasses. Who did I describe there, Gandhi? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why that popped into my head. God has established us to all be tongue speakers and all be prophets and all be this. Because what good is that? I mean, even in soap, we need specialized things to clean specialized things. There's some soap you don't put on your body. It will kill you. There's some soap you don't put on your hands. I mean, go wash your children's hair with hippoclims if you want to. Stop your crying. <laughs> and they're blind. I mean, I don't know they're blind, but it burns. It's like pouring alcohol in your eyes. There are many gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter, four, uh, chapter 12, verse 4 says, Now there are many gifts, varieties of gifts, but what? The same Spirit. And this is point one. The church of Jesus Christ all have the same Spirit. We're unified by the Spirit of Christ. 
That's our unity. That's our bond. That is our power. That is our hope. That is our peace. Jesus Christ is our head. We are his body. I have ten fingers, and one of them doesn't work the way the other nine does. Why? Because I have arthritis right there. And I think it's from punching blocks and bags and dummies and other types of people for so long in martial arts. And I don't even punch with that knuckle, but for some reason, and so when I knock on a door, oh, I cripple. It's like, ooh. So I have nine fingers that work, one finger that sort of hurts. Is that finger not part of my hand? Is that finger not part of my body just because it's a little weaker? Let's continue to look. So we have one spirit. There are varieties of service, of ministry, of doing, of tasks, yet the same Lord Jesus. So as we serve one another with different talents, some of us have expertise and some of us have talents and some of us have treasure some of us have time some of us have all sorts of other things that start with t's that i can't think of but we're able to come together and to give these things to one another as unto the lord so no matter what our service is it's unto the lord you know one of the greatest services to the body of christ is prayer but i mean the application of something practical is the people who clean the toilets for our assembly. I mean, you've all been to a truck stop. <laughs> we, don't, we don't want that. We don't want that. I'll just put some bath and body work stuff in there. Nobody will know. Same Lord, and there are varieties of activities. There are many things that you are able to do, many things that are happening in the body of Christ, not necessarily the structure of the administrated church, but in the body of Christ, but yet they are what? The same God who empowers them in everyone. To each person is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Why? Why does God give His Spirit and effectually cause us to serve uniquely to have activities uniquely, to have gifts uniquely for the common good. For the common good. No one, for to no one is given through the Spirit, excuse me, below, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit to the common good. For to one is given the Spirit of utterance. Now this isn't a theological treatise on the types of gifts this is not Paul's point he's just naming some stuff and he's getting on to the to the meat and the potatoes of it but he says some people get this another person gets this another person gets this another person gets this somebody gets this somebody gets that somebody gets some of the other gets this but why all these are empowered by look one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Well, why is Bobby not doing this? Because that's not His gift. He tried it. It didn't work out. <laughs> For just as the body then is one, it has many gifts, it also has many members. And all the members are one body. So it is with Christ. So that there in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 12, 12, beloved, is the key. We don't belong to ourselves. We've made a covenant with one another in the gospel of grace. 
And then we have to listen to what the Bible says concerning that covenant, that covenant promise. We aren't attending church service this morning. We're gathering together as a family to be taught how we ought to be interacting when this is over with each other. I'm going to say that again. Where did I get that? Ephesians chapter 4. So scoot on over there for a minute. talks about the gift of Christ given to the church in Ephesians chapter 4. And I don't want to dig up bones that are going to make you forget everything else I've said today. But look at verse 10 of Ephesians 4. We'll just skip the questions that will obviously come. He who descended, he who came from heaven, he who went into the grave, he who died, is the one who also ascended far above the heavens... In order that he might fill all things. I don't have time for that. That's a sermon alone. And then Jesus gave something to the church. He gave himself and then he gave something else. He gave the apostles and the prophets. He gave the apostles who have written these letters for us. And he gave the prophets who we have the letters now. To partner together to understand the gospel and then understand what gospel living is all about. And that gospel living is not an isolated individual experience. It is not possible to live as a Christian without being in the local church in promise. Because you cannot obey any of the New Testament letters. Why? Because their context is unto one another under the headship of Christ, under the oversight of the elders, and under the ministry of the deacons, as we learn. Christ gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds, and teachers. Now these aren't a list of all the offices, just like there's not all the gifts. As a matter of fact, there are many gifts that Paul was dealing with in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that weren't exercised anymore. And some of them that only the apostles had. But they were understood and known. So... Paul's just speaking generally. There's a lot of gifts. He gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers in order to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until all of us, every one of us together in Ephesus, attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity in order, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ in order that we may not be children anymore tossed around to and fro by waves carried around by every wind of doctrine human cunning, craftiness, deceitful schemes rather speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love that's oh, beautiful stuff Trey you got to hurry man you got to get there we need, we need this teaching that's about seven sermons by the way Can also be one. 
And the point is that we are a body in order that we grow in love, we grow in service, we grow in affection, we grow in intimacy. And it's not what we think it is. It's not about friendliness. I think one of the brothers last night said it's not about us being lovey-dovey. I like that. It's deeper than that. It's glorious. To say we're not necessary and we're not needed and we don't need to be together is to tell Jesus that he's dumb. It's to tell Jesus through Paul that he doesn't know what he's talking about. It's to tell Jesus that you died and I've got you, but you don't have me. I don't want to be your knuckle with the arthritis. I don't want to be your modest parts, as we'll see back in 1 Corinthians 12. So we are unified by the Spirit of Christ. And I can hear people throughout the culture and the cults of America saying, Yeah, but everybody's got to have all the right things and doing the right things. No, they do not. Because we just saw in Ephesians chapter 4 that one of the purposes of the assembly of Christ is to grow into the knowledge of God. And I'm not saying that we embrace people who don't believe the gospel, folks. That is ridiculous. And people who make those charges, you need to just go and walk away. Because that's as close to intimacy as you'll ever get with that nonsense. Accusations by implication is nonsense. Moving right along, back to, back to 1 Corinthians 12. God puts the body together as He wills in the Spirit of Christ, so we are unified by Christ. Verse 12. For in one Spirit we are all submerged into one body. That's what the word baptized means. Jews, Greeks, slaves, free. It doesn't matter who we are. Those things don't matter in the body of Christ. And we're all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. The foot should say, I'm not a hand. Does it not belong to the body? Would that make it any less part of the body? If the ear would say, I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body. Would that make it any less part of the body? See, it doesn't matter what we say. It doesn't matter what we feel. It doesn't matter where our emotions take us in the context of being a member of the church. It's what Christ has taught us. It's what the Lord has taught us through the Word. If the whole body were an eye, you've heard me say bag of eyeballs, bag of toenails. It's absurd and it's a little macabre, but it really shows the silliness of sometimes when we impose upon ourselves our place amongst the body of Christ. And what does the church of the world do? The church of the world says, well, I know what we need to do. And guys, I'm an expert in this. I could put together programs and plans and classes and things. And I'd be teaching nine days out of seven. And we could employ everybody's talents. One of the funnest things I ever did was play dodgeball. And when you got dodgeballs, and when you're throwing them at like a fifth grader, there's power in that. And thousands of people come to play dodgeball. Levi, me and you could talk. We could, we could play ping pong like nobody's business, could we? That would be awesome. We get a pool table out. I'll let y'all all get the break so you get a shot. And then, you know, we keep on going. There's a lot of fun stuff we can do as Christians. We can go to the movies. We can have a lot of fun stuff. But let's not conflate that fun stuff with actual spiritual intimacy. 
Because we have spiritual intimacy, we may find fun things to do together, some of us. But the key is the unity that we have in Christ, drinking of the one spirit. We can't say we're not part of the body. We can't all be the same thing. Well, I don't have a teaching role, so I'm not important. You do have a teaching role. First and foremost, to yourself, to learn what the work of the ministry is according to the gospel. Secondly, what the church is supposed to be. And thirdly, that you may help encourage and teach others to do likewise. If the whole body were an ear, where would the smell be? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? But as it is, verse 18, important, just like over in verse 8, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Now this is just a picture. This is called imagery. Paul is painting a picture of body parts that we can all relate to. Everybody can relate to that. Little children can relate to that. And now he is going to, for the third time, say, hey, we're important. We're all part. Not because of what we feel or what we're doing, because Christ said so. Christ said so. The eye cannot say to the hand, verse 21, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. I mean, what does the pinky toe do? Cut it off and find out. You're going to have some trouble. What do your fingernails do? Pull them out. See? No, don't do that. And on those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. I mean, everybody has a colon, unless you've had it removed. Nobody wants to talk about the, hey, man, how's your colon? How's your kneecap? Oh, kneecap. Unless it's men, how my glutes look? I mean, you know, get out of here. Nobody want to talk about that. No, we, we, don't, we just want to, I don't, I don't use the potty, I don't. You know, I don't blow my nose. Mm-mm, not me. I'm a robot. <laughs> but yet, even mucus is necessary. Now, I'm not saying strive to be mucus. There's not a correlation with every body part to the body of Christ. There's not that. But, beloved, if things like that are necessary to the body, you are too. And in a greater way, because you are are Christ's body. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, so there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. I want you to hear that. Being a member of the church is that you have to have care for one another. One of the things that we have in 2018, I looked June the 1st of 2018, I talked to the church about the necessity of deacons. And then we had two men who were preparing for deacons, and then one of them sinned greatly and was removed from the membership of the church, and, the, and then COVID hit. <laughs> and now here we are, ready to ordain a deacon. 
Why? Because it's necessary for someone to oversee the ministry of the church, to help the body parts understand their function, to, to look in a place to, in everybody's lives as I teach and other elders teach, as we teach you what it's, what's required of you and what's expected of you and, and, and where the benefits of being the body comes from, then the deacons help administrate those things for the sake of Christ. See, because it's all for the sake of Christ. And then we do things for the sake of Christ, we benefit for the sake of each other. And because of that, we have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, we all suffer together. If one member is honored, we all rejoice together. Now, you are, verse 27 is the key to all this, you are the body of Christ. You are not me. James Tippins is not the body of Christ. I want you to hear this. None of you are the body of Christ, but together we are the body of Christ. Individually, members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, then prophets, then teachers. And because of the context with which Paul is teaching, his rhetoric is moving him into the argument to dispose of this heady, high holiness, self-righteousness in gifts. He says, then miracles, then healing, helping, administration, various kinds of tongues. And he asked questions, are all of you apostles, is all the church prophets, is all the church teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess the gifts of healing, tongues, interpretation? And then he says, look, don't knock it, earnestly desire the higher gifts, and when you do, I'll show you an even better way. See, that's not instruction there. It's an admonition, which is a teaching and a caution at the same time. And we know what verse thir- we know what chapter 13 is all about. It's all about what love really is. If we go to 1 John, we see that John teaches, okay, you who are beloved, that which we have seen from the beginning, that which was from the beginning that we have seen and heard and touched with our hands concerning the word of life that was made manifest to us that we may declare it to you that we also are with the Father and you are with the Father in Christ. We are together as one body in the Lord. It's all about the local church. So there's key things that we need to understand as I move on this morning from this text. It's that the church and every member is necessary. Beloved, I have need of you. Oftentimes people think that the pastors are called to a greater standard of association and intimacy with the church than anybody else in the church. Yet no member of the church would tolerate my apathy regarding this pulpit. Would you? You know what, guys? Man, I was just... Let's just sing today. Anybody got a testimony? You know, that's a lazy pastor, right? I used to think that was incredible until one of the guys goes, man, I just do that because I ain't had time to study this week. Anybody got a testimony? And of course, out of a group, somebody's got something to say. There's nothing wrong with testimonies. I, I like them. But what has God commanded us to do on the Lord's Day when we gather? To be taught, to sing, to pray, to observe the Lord's table. 
to meet each other's needs. That's the point. So we'll do that. And if there's other times we want to do other things, we can do that too. Our members meeting in October, come, stay, be a part of the family. You might learn something about somebody. You may be able to share something that God has taken you through or shown you or encouraged you in that may seem so silly and simple and trivial, but when you share it, God may really spark encouragement in the heart of another brother or sister. All parts are useful. You are useful. And if you're worried about how you can be useful, come tell me. I will give you all opportunity to be useful. There are many things that we need as a church. There are many needs amongst us. There are many prayers that are needed. There are many things that just task-wise that could be done and I could have help with and others could have help with. There's information that you might be able to know or might be able to have that could help me know how to better deal with certain things. All parts are Christ's. We all belong to Him. So He possesses us. And then on the same side of that, all parts are Christ. Now be careful. We're not little Christ. I'm not going to that nonsense apostasy. I'm just saying that we are the body of Christ. Ergo, we are sharing in His glory. What's that a picture of? The gospel. We are one in Him. We have been credited His righteousness. And one day we will be recreated together as a body forever in that. All parts are unified. So as Brother Trey read this morning out of Hebrews, you know, if you, if you continue to look at Hebrews, you talk about the forsaking of the gathering. This is one of those things that literally derails our spiritual lives. It derails our prayers. It derails our intimacy. It derails our focus. It derails everything. There's only one primary obligation that you have in order to receive the ministry of the church, and that is to be together for one and a half hours on Sunday. And if you can't be here... But for an hour, if you can't be here for 20 minutes, can't be here for five minutes, come. Come late, leave early, do what you need to do. But be here. And I encourage you to work on being here when you are here. Together. Because those who forsake the assembly miss the ministry of Christ. And those who forsake the assembly... Honestly, biblically, ought not to be receiving the ministry of the church, including the teaching. And certainly pastoral care and counsel. Or needs. Because that's where the rubber hits the road, isn't it? If your marriage is in shambles, and you want me to counsel you and your spouse, one of the first things that I have to see is a good six to eight months without missing church. Because without that, it's going to fail anyway. Just go on. Go somewhere else. Go talk to somebody else. Give you some, you want some different advice, go get some different advice, you know. And I've labored so long. And for those of you who have received that intimacy with me and other elders, you know I'm right. People like, well, you know, we don't see them for months and then they show back up and, hey, how you been? Well, I'm, you know, I'm having trouble financially. Oh, well, where you been? And see, what's happened, though, is our culture says, shame on you for not being in church. There's sometimes a reason that we're not. There's sometimes we have obligations. Sometimes we just, listen, God's not taking role. Mm-hmm. Oh, 
three in a row, you're out. <laughs> I mean, you know. But just like if I didn't show up tomorrow to my house and my wife hadn't heard from me, she's going to get worried. I'm going to be in trouble. And we should have that same kind of concern and care for each other. Where is brother so-and-so? What is going on with them? We are necessary. And if we forsake the assembly, then how dare we come and ask for the ministry? Because that's the first, that's the door, that's the basics. It's not when you think about it in pastoral counsel, and you've heard me use this expression before, hey guys, I need some help. I keep busting out my front teeth. Why are you doing it? I don't know. Every seven steps, I fall. Your boots are untied. Just tie your boots and see how that does for you. Okay. <laughs> I told you to tie. You know what? I, I tried that once. I ain't tying my boots. You're tripping over your shoestrings. Well, I just busted out another tooth. You see? Get out of here. It's nonsense, isn't it? Well, here's the reality of being the body. If we're not with the body, how can we expect the blessings of God's promises? And it's hard, isn't it? It's the hardest things. Why is it so hard? Paul talks about it in Ephesians 6. I always think, and I still to this day think, and when I teach Ephesians, I always start with Ephesians 6 as a prequel, and then I go in so that we have the reminder because we hear all that good instruction, all that intimacy, and all that ministry, and all that growing and all, and we're like, yay, I can't do it. Because it's a spiritual problem. It's a spiritual battle. We are fighting not only against our own flesh and proclivities, we're not only fighting against our own insecurities and fears and frustrations and aggravations. Some of us just are not people people, and it's okay. Believe it or not, I'm not a people person. Some of you who have known me a long time, there are times you can go to lunch and not say a word. Just, I enjoyed lunch. That's what happens. That's intimacy right there. And you're not mad at each other now. If you sit there quietly and you're mad, that's different. But it's hard. Because not only are we fighting ourselves, we're fighting the culture. We're fighting what is easy. We're fighting what is natural. And we're fighting what is supernatural. We are fighting a war that supernaturally is coming against us. And thoughts and feelings and other people and experiences by the sovereignty of God. God is not only permitting and decreeing, but causing all these things to work together for our good. And he's causing all these things to work together for his glory. So what do we do when everything is going sideways and we know we have to stay the course? We stay the course. That's called discipline. And the primary discipline of the believer is to be a member of the local church and be an assembly on the Lord's day above all things because everything flows in and out of that. We're not called to chase after people. We're not called, we had a funny conversation about this last night, but we're not called to that. We're not called to be a counselor. We're not called to, we're called to be a family and whatever we need and anytime we need, that's what we do. Now some people would say, and in closing, I want to say a lot of things that 
would take a long time if I try to expound on them too much. But a lot of people say, well, I don't see in the Bible where church membership is biblical. Then you haven't read the New Testament. I'm being honest with you. You have not read the book of Acts and you have not read the letters of Paul. There is no time when Paul is addressing uh, ambiguously a just group of Christians in the world. There's only one time in the entire New Testament that that sense, where there's this large universal church, is ever mentioned, and that's in the future. Well, not one place, but in one essence. We see it in Hebrews, where we're together with the angels, worshiping Christ at the day of glory, the bridegroom, and we see it in John's Apocalypse. Church membership is public. Church membership is something that is necessary. Church membership is biblical. Covenant relationship with people is biblical, just like marriage. Just like marriage. There is an inside and an outside. There's an inside and outside with Christ, the inside and outside of the Garden of Eden, and inside and outside at Sinai. Inside and outside of the tabernacle, inside and outside of the temple. God prepared a people for himself, and where they are, he is because he is in them. And so we cannot say we long for the day of the Lord and to worship as the gathered ones, as the church, but we have no desire to do so now. But beloved, that's the, that's the stress of it, isn't it? Some of us don't desire it because we don't receive the benefits of it, because we don't desire it, because we're not doing it, because we don't receive the benefits of it, so we don't desire it. If we just do it, then we'll receive the benefits of it, then we'll desire it. I promise you, it will. God looks at the world, and He's preparing His gathered ones. He's gathering His worshipers in spirit and in truth. And they live and they love and they exhort, they pray together, they work together, they do everything together in the context and for the sake of Christ in the context of the gospel. So the gathering should be the pinnacle and the first and the last of our week. It should cap out our week and should introduce our week all at the same time. We have the confidence to enter into the holy places, so let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Let's not neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let's encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Beloved, when a believer is not in covenant relationship with the local assembly, they know that they're lacking much. We are diverse, as we've already seen. There are people who are mature, people who are not. There are people who are mature in some things and not others. We are all immature and childish in something. All of us, me, I have a long list of things that I need to grow up in. And I'm not sharing them with you because I don't need you on my back. You see, don't need you on my back. Unless I'm giving you a ride somewhere, I guess. We're very diverse. We have different powers, different levels of faith, different strengths, different knowledge, different understanding. And we all have a part. Grace Truth Church, since May of 2011, these things have been written down in our church documents, and I'll read them now. The church is not a place, but a people. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your one Lord, one faith, one baptism, 
one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And this is not talking about all the Christians around the world. This is talking about the local church. And then collectively, one day we will be the universal church. I don't have time to get into the grammar of scripture, but this idea of this universal invisible church is hogwash. It does not exist today. Theoretically, <laughs> biblically, no. No. I don't care who wrote it. It's not contextual. We are a church that is a people, not a place. We are a people who are not grown, but we are growing. As Paul would say in Ephesians 4, 15, 16, speak the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow up and builds itself up in love. We are growing and we are growing worshipers for the God of glory. We are growing. And we worship God in our assembly. We worship God in our attendance. We worship God in our intimacy. We worship God in our prayers. We worship God. And all of that starts and stops with the assembly every week. I mean, for 11 years, I've been longer than that, but for us, 11 years, I've been praying and focusing by name every one of you who are part of this assembly part of this family, all the time worrying, and then God will bring something. I'll be reading something just for my own interest, and the Lord will say, you know what? So-and-so really needs to hear that. I may message them. I may pray for them. I may incorporate some teaching in the context of what the Word of God is showing me so that we as a family will become more unified and more focused on what we ought to be and who we ought to be serving. Otherwise, I could easily just stand here for about four days teach about 70 hours worth of content and just y'all could, we could just all stream it on demand as it's needed so we can get our theological kicks in. Being the church is not about getting theological kicks. It's about worshiping the God who is revealed in that theology. It's about knowing Christ who knows us by name. So we're growing worshipers for the glory of God. And we know that with God, all things are possible in Christ. And we will display God's wisdom together so that through the church, what does Paul say? The manifold wisdom of God might be now made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And we covenant together as one body with many parts, and we do so and we desire certain things. And our church covenant is very simple. That we would love each other in Christ that we'd have Christ affection and love toward each other as we walk together for the glory of Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is love. That we would also rely upon God, that we would depend upon Him, evidenced by prayer personally, as we pray for one another and corporately, as we petition God for His will to be done in our lives and in our world. We commit to praying for each other and for God's purpose for Grace Truth Church. We worship. We worship through service. We worship through submission to the Word and to Christ. We worship through action and doing. We worship through knowledge and through our affections. We worship through study. We meet together regularly and weekly in corporate worship in our homes and communities as meets the occasion. Why? For the purpose of encouragement, growth, mutual concern, and accountability. We are accountable to God through the local church. We are accountable to one another through the elders of the church and to the members of the church. And we are to submit to one another and to the correction and to the love and to the growth and to the discipline of the word of God as prescribed for the sanctity of the church. This accountability includes right living, pure testimony, holy pursuits, church attendance, encouragement, direction, discipleship, 
and other means by which we will obey the Lord in a spirit of worship. We want to cooperate together. We want to see Grace Truth Church flourish as a community of faith, as a family of intimacy. And the members of this church also must agree with the doctrines of grace and the purposes of church and the sufficiency and the, effect, and the efficacy of Scripture and the authority of Scripture and all those basic things about the true gospel and who the church truly is to be. And we are not going to allow the world to infiltrate the actions of the body. But the proper doctrine, the proper doctrine produces proper methods. And that's the reality of, of being a church. That's a simple overview of what being a church member is all about. That we're together, that we fight the flesh, and we, we know it's not going to be easy, it's going to be hard, but we learn, we submit to the Lord because, listen, I'm not lording over you. I have never hammered you, church. And if you've ever felt that way, you should have told me. It is a character flaw in me sometimes that I'm not hard enough or that I am too long-suffering. And I'm not saying that humbly. I writhe in agony and self-pity over certain things to which I am then taken advantage of in a lot of circumstances. We don't hammer one another, but we love each other. And beloved, I want you to know that. And I want you to rest in that because there's a lot of other things that we could be doing. There's a lot of other ways in which ministry, this ministry could have gone. And I'm thankful for the way it has been gone. And I'm thankful for God's safety. Have we had problems? You better believe it. And I don't think we've seen anything yet. As we grow older in age, the problems are going to continue. The question is, are we going to face the world and God's call for all of us in Christ together? Or are we just going to do it our own way? I choose together. I choose together. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for your word and for all that you've done to show us the truth in Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that you are patient with us and that you love us. So help us to love each other in the same way. Never should we be angry and frustrated. But, Father, in every way, help us to be gentle and focused on the gospel that we might live it out. And, Lord, by way of reminder, you've just shown us passages today of you know, the essence of life together. There's still much to learn through the whole of Scripture that we would become more intimate in Christ, together for Christ, and that most of all, Lord, we would respect and be in awe of Your doing, that You are doing what You're doing as You see fit. So in that, Father, we can rejoice. We can stand up and, and be counted as a member of this assembly. And Father, I pray for wisdom as the elders of this church continue to think about as, as we've partnered with other congregations, as we pray for other communities of faith, as we want to see congregations and studies 
expand and grow, but Lord, what we really are seeking is intimacy. And we can't make it happen. Only you can. And so, Father, by your Spirit, guide us. Direct us. Give us clarity. And Father, I do pray for those sheep without homes. I pray that if our ministry can help them, Lord, if we can befriend them and be intimate with them, even in covenant from a distance to whatever degree we're able, Lord, that one day we would be able to see you grow up congregations, true spiritual families, where your people could be together weekly on an ongoing basis. So, Father, as we take the table today, Lord, help us to worship. And as we receive these new families today, Father, we thank you for what you're doing for us as a church, individually, as members, and corporately as a family. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.